Hi, I'm Gertrude Keesley, and this is Kingdom Consciousness. Jesus said, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come, Matthews 24, 14. Before Jesus returns to set up his kingdom in its final form, the gospel of the kingdom must be extended throughout the nations of the world. In order to preach the gospel of the kingdom, we as kingdom citizens must understand the kingdom of God. Before we can become custodian to the keys of the kingdom, we must first experience kingdom living. In the past, much emphasis has been placed on the life and ministry of the king of the kingdom jesus christ and rightly so but not enough emphasis has been given to the gospel of the kingdom jesus told the religious leaders of his time ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men for ye neither go in yourselves neither suffer them that are entering to go in matthew 23 13. It was this gospel of the kingdom that was the central purpose of Christ's life. He began his earthly ministry by declaring the arrival of the kingdom. That's, you can find that in Matthew 4.17. He ended his earthly ministry by speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom, Acts 1 and 3. In between the beginning and ending of his earthly ministry, the emphasis was on the kingdom. Luke 4.43 says, And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore I am sent. The kingdom of God was the greatest concern of Jesus. His teachings and parables focused on the kingdom. His miracles were a demonstration of the kingdom of God in action. The phrases kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven are used over a hundred times in the books of Matthews, Mark, Luke, and John. We will explore the distinctions between these two. We are told to seek first the kingdom, to pray for it and to preach it. We are told how to enter the kingdom and taught that residency in it requires a new lifestyle. God is equipping his citizens to become kingdom minded so that we can understand the business of the kingdom. We are sons and daughters of the king. Everything about us is royalty, but we must first adopt the mind of Christ in order to understand what that actually means. We cannot have a poverty mindset and expect to grasp the reality of how much God desires for us to prosper. But there is a greater purpose than just understanding kingdom principles. Citizens must go beyond mere knowledge of the kingdom 
to actually experience it and make it the central purpose of our living. So I invite you to come and go with me as we explore this most exciting, interesting, and eye-opening subject. Good afternoon. I'd like to just talk to you a little bit about advancing the kingdom of God. That was the mission of Jesus throughout his ministry from the time of his inaugural sermon in Mark 1 to his ascension in Acts 1. He declared that his powers and wisdom were the results of his citizenship in the kingdom. In Matthew 13, Jesus shared several, seven parables describing various attributes of the kingdom of God. And in Acts 1, after his resurrection and before his ascension, Jesus continued to teach and remind his disciples about the kingdom. The rest of the book of Acts is the story of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit who continues Jesus' mission. The book of Acts ends with the Apostle Paul in Rome on house arrest, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. The kingdom of God was so central to Jesus' life and ministry that when his disciple asked him to teach them how to pray, he included your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as something they should request of the Father. The priority of kingdom advancement in Jesus' prayer was a manifestation of its priority in his life. The same should be true of us. The prayer and priority of our lives should be kingdom advancement. We are to engage in it every day the way that Jesus did. As individuals, parents, family members, employees, employers, friends, whatever additional roles and platforms our Father gives us, our mission is to advance his kingdom in the war that we've been awakened to. The reality of the war we're in and the priority of the kingdom of God explained so much of our experience in life. People struggle to understand where God is during their storm, their battle. Joining with the psalmist, they question, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never be favorable again? Has his love and kindness ceased forever? Has his promise come to an end forever? At the heart of their cries is why? Why is God allowing this to happen? The sad reality is that war is unjust. War is unfair. Bombs drop and bullets fly from any and every direction. What's more, we are all involved fighting either for or against. We're fighting either for, for or against 
God's kingdom. There's no other way. No one is left out. And there is no place on planet Earth where one where we can't escape, escape it. To live in the rest that Jesus promised requires awakening to the war that Jesus came to fight. Jesus didn't live at rest because the enemies of God took it easy on him. They didn't say to him, hey, we know we've been kind of rough on you and your people for the past few thousand years, so we're going to give you a break for a while. No, Jesus lived at rest because he lived at war. Rest is not about the absence of conflict. Rest comes as we learn to apply the victory Jesus won, the victory that is already ours, to the daily battles that we fight. Yes, I hate that we live in war. I wish Jesus would come back and end all this suffering and conflict. Nevertheless, like it or not, we are in a war between two kingdoms, and we don't get to choose whether our lives or the lives of our loved ones are affected by the war. They are. What do you understand about the kingdom of God, about the significance of the role of the kingdom in your life? To deepen your awareness of its relevance, ask the Holy Spirit to give you clarity as to its priority and meaning. Write down what he shows you. Matthew 28, 19, 20 said, talks about since the days of the Great Commission, God's kingdom has expanded experientially. Just as he charged Peter and company to make disciples, he's calling us to share in his kingdom work and participate in its growth. Kingdom work is not exclusive to those with official church titles. It is the privilege of all believers. What a diverse, unified, but diverse group of people we are. We have different gifts that God uses to promote growth and harmony in the church body. And when we share the gifts that God has given us with each other and with the world, we allow his power to work in us, transforming us. It isn't our efforts or inner genius that produce results. It's all God working through us to share the good news of the kingdom in various ways, powered by the Holy Spirit. Kingdom work doesn't equate to easy work. No, it doesn't. We are kingdom people, but our bodies and minds remain tethered in this earth. That means sin, with all its devastation and brokenness, is still present and active. So in the midst of this brokenness, God calls us to grow together and bring his example to the world. No, kingdom work isn't easy. It's not easy, but it's worth it. What gifts has God given you? None are too small. None are too insignificant, like the mustard seed. So let's continue to ask the Lord for insight into how we can encourage and challenge each other as we grow and work together in his kingdom. John the Baptist was a mighty man of God. But Jesus said that the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. 
John didn't have access to the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire that was promised. We do. We do. Then Jesus said that everything has changed since John the Baptist. Before John the Baptist came, the law and the prophets testified about the coming kingdom. But after John, the kingdom of heaven began forcefully advancing. Amen. The idea is that the kingdom is alive and thriving. The kingdom is on the move in its own interest. Now, this is not passive. Since John the Baptist, Jesus had come, and the kingdom of heaven was just beginning to flex its muscles. Now, the next phrase says that violent men take it by force. The word for violent means lively, forceful, or violent. The word translated takes it by force literally means to snatch something up for oneself. But he is using the same root word to describe the kingdom's advance and the men's behavior. These are kingdom men that he's talking about, not thieves. They are harvesting, not stealing. So Jesus saying that everything the law and prophet foretold is now coming to pass. The kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing and everybody's getting on it. He's not talking about passive people just waiting on God to be spoon-fed. He's talking about active men and women energetically grabbing the amazing goodness of God that is suddenly available. Jesus saw this all the time. People forcing their way through crowds to get to him, multitudes thronging to touch him, People interrupted him day and night to get what he had. He's not condemning this, by the way. He always gave those people what they were looking for. But he's pointing out that now is not the time to sit back and wait. The wait is over. The kingdom is here. Come and get it. So many are, are satisfied to live in bondage waiting and hoping that someday God will rescue them. And many, uh, many people beg fervently in prayer to see God's good purposes come to pass. But it was not those who waited around or begged who got what Jesus was offering. Jesus's attitude is different toward the rich, the self-righteous, and the lazy. The parables or the talents and the meanness tell us about laziness. The servant with the least did the least. He hid his money in the ground and returned it to his master when he returned. Contrast the wicked, lazy ser servant with the other industrious servants. They put the money they had been given to work and they doubled it. That increase was justification. But the lazy servant was given much, produced nothing, and then actually blamed the master for his high expectation. My God, Jesus is expecting a return on his investment. In Luke 18, the rich young ruler came to Jesus asking what he must do to be saved. Now, he has all the right answers for Jesus' question. Yes, he did. He's done everything right. 
But Jesus still isn't satisfied. He told him that he must sell all he had and give to the poor to gain treasure in heaven. Wow, this was not what the ruler wanted to hear. After all, wasn't his wealth already a sign of God's favor? Wasn't his perfect obedience to the law enough to guarantee a cushy position in the afterlife? But as Jesus said earlier, to whom much is given, much shall be required. So look, here's the deal. You can't depend on your blessings, your position, or your previous accomplishment to gain the kingdom. It's not what you have, but what you do with what you have that makes you a kingdom citizen, that marks you as a kingdom citizen. The character of hunger and thirst for righteousness pervades Jesus' speech and his desire for us. We can't rest on our laurels. We dare not trust our own righteousness. If we are truly sons and daughters of God, we must move forward. The kingdom is forcefully advancing, and only those who live forceful lives will be able to keep up with its advance. So let us not sit back in ease or be satisfied with begging more from God. As soldiers of the kingdom, we must fight. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.